Hello, and welcome to the Joy Fundraising at Tiltify podcast, a podcast where we focus on all things fundraising in both the live streaming and general philanthropic space. I'm your host, Daniel Casper Bong. I am the community manager for Tiltify. And as always, we're joined by our social media coordinator, Miss Maggie Draskia. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. Well, it's always wonderful to hear your voice. And I know we took a week off just because of life and just work and just the the charity industry has been absolutely crazy as of late in a great way, in a great way for sure. Um, just being able to support all these different organizations and all of the different movements that are going on right now. But we are back for episode number nine. And for episode number nine, we are focusing on modernizing your social approach. That is for both content creators and charities. And who better to talk about this than one of our own staff, our lovely charity success manager or one of our charity success managers, Miss Ashleen. How are you doing, Ash? I'm doing well. By the way, I'm very happy that I'm here on episode nine. Fun fact, nine is my favorite number. Oh, well. Yeah, it's it, awesome. was my, it was at my number in volleyball. So I'm, I'm actually really happy about that. So you said that, I was like, oh, that's my, it's my good looking number. So. Oh, that's wonderful. I mean, our my favorite number is number four. It's like the luckiest number for me, even though in in certain cultures that my family's involved with, uh, four is actually really bad. So I go against the grain in that way. But anyways, we do have Ashley joining us for episode number nine, talking about modernizing your social approach. So we're going to be diving into things like Discord, TikTok as well, and uh, any other social platforms that really are kind of jumping out at us as these things that charities should definitely be considering getting involved in. We understand that there's going to be some red tape here and there, but it's definitely worth the effort. And uh, yeah. We're going to also take a content creator approach since all three of us are also still active content creators as well. But let's start with Ashley because she has been working at Tiltify for just over a year now. She's been a content creator for many years, but we want to know where you came from. What is the beginning story of Ashley? So Ash, tell us a little bit about yourself, how it started and how you eventually got your way into this crazy content creation world. Believe it or not, I did not grow up a gamer. I was not into gaming at all. I mean, I was into gaming. But my sister was like the tomboy of the family and they looked at me and they're like, well, you got to be the one that's into Barbies and ballet. So I literally was put into ballet classes. I had way too many Barbies that children should never even have. And, you know, I just, I played with Barbies, but I always remember like sneaking into my sister's room when I was, cause my, so my sister and I weren't raised together. And I always remember sneaking into my sister's room when she was at school or whatever, when I was visiting and jumping on her PlayStation to play games or swiping her um, Game Boy Color to play like Rain Man and all that. So I've always been super into games, but my family didn't want me to play games. And it wasn't until, believe it or not, I was actually in college. I was on the specific floor that had um, Xbox and PlayStation 3 system. So we would all go in there and play Call of Duty, Black Ops Zombies. And that's kind of when I got into, into gaming in general. And it was my second year as a resident assistant that one of my residents was actually super into League of Legends. Oh. Um, so they sat me down one day and they said, you're gonna play through the tutorial. I played through the tutorial. I was like, okay, this is kind of fun. Then I started playing more and more. And then I started, then I found out some of my friends that I had actually played. So then we started playing. And then one of them mentioned, oh, you would do so well on Twitch. And I'm like, well, what the heck is Twitch? <laughs> And they're like, oh, let's check this site out. And they had me watch like some um, female League of Legends players. And they're like, oh, you're, you do so much better than that. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. I found myself driving every other weekend from San Francisco down to, down to LA 
for the LCS that was held actually at Manhattan Beach in the Manhattan Beach Studios long time ago. This yeah. is like season three, season three LCS. And going there for, you know, the qualifiers, the finals and all that, it was the, so much fun. And that's what kind of got me into more of like the gaming and the League of Legends scene. I found myself going to MSI San Jose and MSI Oakland. And that's where I met a group of actual Twitch streamers. And one of them was, uh, she used to be called Obezyanka, but now she goes by monkeyism. And her and I became really good friends. And just one day when I was, when we were kind of like both in Los Angeles hanging out, she's like, hey, do you want to stream for my Twitch account? And I was like, sure, I've never done it. So I jumped on there. I played Hearthstone, never played Hearthstone a day in my life. And it was just so cool to be there playing a game and talking to people. And I was like, this is, a, this is so much fun. I immediately went home and I saved up my money for three months and bought myself a computer, built my own computer. And I started, I started in April-ish of 2015. And then by October that same year, I was partnered on Twitch. I grew almost 10,000 followers my first year on Twitch. It was insane. It was insane to me. And it, that's kind of just how I got my start into, into gaming. But, um, on a more personal level, one of the reasons why I actually started streaming and gaming more was I was actually going through an abusive relationship and I was getting out of that. And um, part of my escape was gaming. And I found that um, streaming and keeping myself on a, on a schedule to you know jump online every single day and play games with friends and streaming kept me out of that relationship. And that's what got me into a much healthier space. Yeah, we it's almost like we hear the story from so many people where they have some similarity to what you just told us where it's like it's it's a sense of escapism it's a it's a sense of distraction it's it's not necessarily something like oh i want to be the next esports superstar because i'm unique apparently <laughs> in that space but for a lot of people gaming was was a way to kind of get away from the reality that they're living in so with that being said did you have like a favorite game that you dived into at the in the early stages of your streaming it was definitely League of Legends, like at the very beginning. And then somewhere in between, like the first three months of me streaming was right when Rocket League came out. So I, I found myself playing Rocket League quite a bit. And believe it or not, a lot of the League of Legends pros and broadcast team was super into it. So I would play with them all the time because I made friends with them at some point. And then it suddenly transitioned into H1Z1 and first person shooters. And that's kind of how that's been like my kind of my niche, but I still will always hold a deep love for RPG games and storyline games. Last of Us 2 comes out next week. <laughs> yeah, by the time this podcast comes out, it's actually going to be really close to the release date. So I'm actually really excited for that myself. Is that is The Last of Us 2 like the game you're looking forward to that's coming out soon? Oh, yeah. I think I was talking to you two before we kind of fired up. I was so upset because I was waiting for some pay to come in so I can actually like pre-order the like the special edition with the statue and the vinyl records and all that. And it sold out 30 minutes before my payroll hit. And I was like, no, <laughs> darn it. That is it, the worst it's, it's definitely up there. And until yesterday was actually the PS5 re reveal and her, come on, Horizon. Oh, Horizon, yeah. The, the, the new sequel, Horizon. Um, oh. Westward. Westward um, Frontier Hidden West or something Hidden like that. West yeah. or something like that. Yeah. I'm so excited for that. Um, um, Last of Us and Horizon franchises are probably in my top five. Oh, up yeah. Up there with Kingdom Hearts. For sure. Uh, no, I definitely agree. And Kingdom Hearts is, is uh, <laughs> we could talk about that forever. <laughs> I'm definitely not going to push that way because our episodes as of late have been much longer. <laughs> um, but Draskia, I don't think we've actually talked about your favorite kind of games growing up because for you, it was when you came into live streaming, it was all about Minecraft. But did you have another game that you kind of like really like to dive into or a guilty pleasure of yours? 
Mine would have to be Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. Link to the Link to the Past. Okay. That was it. Link to the Past. The one on the SNES. I actually did not have the opportunity to play a lot of video games growing up. So whenever I go to my grandma's house, that's what I would play. It was my love. It still is. I play it on the Switch every once in a while. I'm. It's just great. It's one of my favorites. Man, I, I feel like the outcast in this group, in this trio, because I was the one that played video games like nonstop ever since I was a kid. And the only reason I stopped was because my computer just got too old. So I was like 13 or 14 or 12 or 13 and uh, a new Call of Duty came out and my computer couldn't handle it. I was, of course, a, <clears throat> a competitive shooter around that time. So I decided to, you know, just step away. And then three months later, my parents bought me a what, a Nintendo 64 it was either a Nintendo 64 or I think the Xbox 360 just came out, something like that uh, around that time. So I just I became a console gamer and then I played that nonstop and I got into Halo and then that sparked my dream of becoming an esports superstar that <laughs> failed after like three months. But, you know, it's, <laughs> y you tried and that's the most yeah. important thing. That's the whole important. That's the whole point of this entire episode. Thank you so very much for listening. Uh, no, but <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I feel like everybody has some sort of gaming background. Like I can talk about like Crash Bandicoot, Kingdom Hearts, you know, the, the Tony Hawk series. Um, I remember playing like Ratchet and Clank. I, I remember playing games, but I just don't have like the deep background. Like when, like I think on yesterday on my stream, uh, we were talking about Legend of Zelda. I was like, I've actually never played a Legend of Zelda game. And my entire chat blew up. Really? But yes. What? So so here's the beautiful, here's my, one of my, the reasons why I, I love streaming so much is I get to play favorites that people grew up with for the first time. And then they get to see my reaction for the first time. And to me, mm -hmm. like, that's why I love streaming. I love the ability to hear people be like, oh my gosh, you've never played this. You never play Undertale. You need to play Undertale, blah, 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 blah. You know, and that's why I love streaming is I finally get to be a kid. I, I get to be that kid that I always wanted to be growing up. That is totally fair. That is totally fair. Well, shifting gears a little bit, because I know that you joined us at Tiltify last year, and that was actually your first industry job, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. So First paid industry first job. First paid industry job, yeah. <laughs> so can you talk about that experience, like your shift from content creator? You're still creating content, of course, but mm -hmm. kind of that shift from going content creator to industry side? Yeah, so I was actually working full time. I was working in law enforcement, actually um, doing some clerical work for law enforcement, but I had always strived and dreamed to be a part of the industry. So I actually have my bachelor's degree in psychology. And before I even got into the gaming industry, I wanted to be a speech language pathologist and kind of take that route. But um, obviously, as I got into the gaming side and the gaming industry, my my interests completely shifted and I wanted to do something gaming. I want to do either community management and so on and so forth. But ever since I was 16, 17 years old, I always had like a huge passion for charity. And then when I found out about Tiltify, I just kind of realized I was like, this is kind of like my niche. It's all about gaming to an extent. And it's also all about charity. So it was kind of like one of the like perfect like jobs. But going from content creator to an industry job, it wasn't easy. I, I think my, my resume was like five or six different jobs deep of just volunteer work and, 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 and unpaid internships. And for example, like I, many people don't know this. I actually, for a short time, worked with Cloud9 and their video production team. And I helped them with their YouTube channel and doing, I had it, I was hand doing every single closed caption for their videos. Oh, and goodness. Yeah. So it, it was, 
tedious work. You know, I've, I've been a volunteer community moderator for some video games. I've uh, co-founded my own charity team called Playing With Fire. And together we, we raised about $400,000 for multiple organizations. It was definitely a lot of like outside work that had to go into me getting a job in the industry. And I think that's one thing that people don't really realize is a lot of times in the mindset is, well, I stream, I'm a content creator. I run my own socials. That should be enough to become a community manager or be a social media manager. That's not it at all. You need to be able to learn programs. You need to be able to learn business conversations. It's, it's way more and way deeper. You need to be able to have established relationships. And I think that's kind of what helped me get into the position I'm in now. But uh, it definitely was an interesting shift going from, you know, talking about parking tickets and, <laughs> you know, and, and, and accident reports to, you know, talking to organizations, multi-million dollar, billion dollar organizations about telling about them looking up to me saying, how can we be, you know, be of service and how can we actually make ourselves successful in this space? It was a huge mental shift. That's for sure. Yeah. I, I feel like we can both relate both uh, Draskin and myself can definitely relate to that. Because when we're in charge of our own brand, we're kind of in charge of our own brand, right? And we might be talking to like a peripheral company here and there or something like that for a partnership sponsorship. Sure. But when we start thinking about charities and working directly with charities, it's very easy to forget that say like a St. Jude, for example, is a billion dollar corporation, like they have a lot of money going in and out every single day in order to make their operation work. So it's like we we often forget that the organizations that we're working with on a daily basis are just massively influential in the world. And they're coming to us for kind of this advice and kind of working with them for that. I know that Draskia, can you speak on this for a little bit with your experiences? Because I know that for you, you were at Microsoft. And of course, <laughs> I I'm not going to lie. I would never want to work social for an organization as big as Microsoft because doing it for Tiltify for the couple of years before you're hired on was one thing, but doing that for a company with millions of followers, no thank you. It was, it was a lot. There was a lot of pressure to be corporate, to be the voice, and to create your own independent voice separate from the corporate voice. It was very confusing. <laughs> um, we were very new. So I did social media for Mixer and we were very new into the space. We were trying to create a voice for ourselves, but at the same time, there was always this overhead, like sort of Damocles that was pretty much like, you can't do this. You can't do that. You, if you mess up, then like, that's it, you're done. And uh, it was, it was a lot of pressure speaking to companies like Xbox or PlayStation or Nintendo or the Markipliers that are out there, it was nerve wracking. Like you didn't want to mess up. It was, it was fascinating though. Yeah. And I guess that kind of shifts perfectly into our main topic of this podcast, which is talking about modernizing your social approach. Because for many of these charities, especially the bigger ones, they are going to run into a lot of red tape when it's like, hey, we would like to put our brand, our message, our et cetera, and all these messaging things that we've worked with celebrities or creators, influencers with. And we want to put that on TikTok. We want to expand to Instagram. We want to go over here and do this and do that because we're no longer in the days of MySpace necessarily. And while things like Facebook still exist and Facebook is actually still one of the biggest social platforms out there for a certain generation, I feel like things like TikTok or even Discord, if we take that as a social platform, 
there's just such a younger generation that is expanding into these areas that if you want to expand as a charity, how are you going to do that? And how do you connect with these people? Well, you kind of have to go to where they are. So I think TikTok is a great example of that. But let's start with Discord because I feel Mm -hmm. like charities in particular don't know Discord that well. So Ash, if you could, could you explain to all of our listeners what Discord is and why it might be important for charities to kind of get involved with? Absolutely. So uh, Discord is actually a group chatting platform that was uh, originally built for gamers, but it has since then um, become a general use platform for all sorts of sorts of communities, from games to organizations to educational groups to political groups. We're seeing Discord kind of being mobilized as um, essentially like a more community driven Reddit form. That's kind of the best way to explain it. So I mean, I'm in discords for charities. I'm in discords for partnership programs. I'm in private discord just between friends. It's it's a really great way to centralize your communications with people. And part of my job as well with Tiltify is I actually work hand in hand with discord and with the organizations to teach them how to essentially make their discord a, a one, a positive place, but two, a place that can really benefit the organization in the long run. So that's kind of what what I do. But Discord is definitely one of those places you want to be in. It's more beneficial to be in Discord, understanding Discord, than it is to have no clue what Discord is. Yeah, and I think that's that's something that we can relate to a lot of different social platforms, especially. Like, it, it's better to understand it at the very least. But um, what what do you feel would go into a great Discord server for, say, a charity, particularly? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the first things that I tell organizations is this is going to be one of the first times you'll ever actually start developing one-on-one relationships with donors and fundraisers and people who are actually benefiting from your organization. And this is a really great way to continue to capitalize off of that. Have your resource and assets in there, have your brand guidelines in there, have PNG vector files of everything that like people are going to ask for in there. Because one thing that's always been frustrating for me prior to, you know, working at Tiltify and fundraising with Tiltify is I would reach out to organizations and say, hey, I'm going to do a fundraiser for you. You know, can I get some some brand assets and just get met with no emails back? And that's frustrating as a content creator, because then I have to go out, I have to Google, you know, organizations, logo, PNG files, sort by transparency. And even then the logos that I might be pulling might not actually be under the guidelines that the brand is actually still utilizing. So having brand guidelines that are easily accessible for creators is huge. I can't even like stress that enough. Having assets, how-tos, talking points. I always kind of say it's it's a post-it note pitch is can you sell your organization on a post-it note? Give that information to the streamers. Let them be able to sell your organization on their streams from what they're able to put on a post-it note. Other things that are very successful on the discords is having just random channels to chat. And I kind of tell organizations this when I work with them, I show them my discord and I tell them, you know, I have channels when, when I see something being talked about in general, a lot, I make its own channel. There's a common joke in my stream because I'm not a huge sports person. So we always joke that I call it sports ball and everybody was talking about sports in my general channel. So then I just made a separate channel called the sports ball channel. And everybody's talking about sports in there. I've done this before for cars, movies, and TV shows and games. So I have an entire game section where people are just in there talking about new game releases. We're talking about last of us two right now. And I kid you not, there are like four or five people that are going in there every single day and posting a countdown, 12 days left, 11, 10, nine. And it's just, you're creating the space where people feel comfortable talking about what they are passionate about. It may not be about your organization. It may not be about your stream and your content, 
but ultimately you're giving them a space to feel comfortable and a, a space for them to kind of express themselves. And this is what I tell charities to do all the time is if you can spend one hour of your day in your discord, communicating with people, talking to them sparking new conversations, posting questions, work with your organization as a whole. See if you guys can once a month host a community town hall where people can come in and ask questions, where you guys can give updates about your organization. Once a week or bi-weekly, have game nights where you all jump into a Discord server and play Jackbox Party Pack. It doesn't have to be all, all organization talk all the time. It could just be, hey, we're going to hang out and watch a movie together. Or, hey, we're going to hang out and play a video game. The more you come across to content creators and community members as a, as a person and not a brand, you're bound to have a deeper connection. And through that, you'll see greater success in what you're trying to accomplish with those people. So that's why like discord is very important. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that because we, we see it all the time. And when we get questions from charities, for example, they're always like, oh, how do we connect with this newer generation? Or how do we connect with this generation on Twitch, on YouTube, these live streamers, these content creators, these influencers, essentially. And it's like, well, I mean, you have to kind of give your organization a face. And this is just an extension of that. Because when we take it to the social media realm, when your organization only tweets facts about your company, about your organization, what you're doing, that's great. And that is valuable and that definitely has its place. But when you can start putting more of a personality behind it, that's where you get that extra level of connectivity with these folks, whether it be influencers or just their communities that are looking at your brand. We were just talking about it just before this recording where KFC actually put out a tweet to kind of make fun of the fact that the new PS5 and the new Xbox, they kind of look a little weird. They look a little, they look like an internet router or they look like a computer tower or something like that so they released their kf console which is a fried chicken bucket shaped console device that that we can use for gaming that is apparently supposed to come out this november so if they somehow release and it that, worked i ordered kfc like 20 minutes after <laughs> i saw that but yeah exactly what cats were saying it's knowing the people knowing the brand it's it's knowing what's going to connect with people in this generation and these eight these age groups i always tell organizations be on top of the memes. What is the common memes that people are talking about? As funny as it is, Casper, it is so true. <laughs> um, even still now, one of the most popular memes I'm seeing is the RTX meme. It's like mm. RTX off, RTX on. If you guys don't know what that is, Google it. It's pretty funny. <laughs> um, and you know, it's like understanding that because now you can take to your social channels and utilize those memes that, yeah, okay, KFC made a funny meme about, oh, it's our, it's our new console, but if it made me go out and order it, imagine how many other people went out and ordered. Oh yeah, we we see that all the time, all the time for sure. Especially when they they're just like, it, there's a term out there uh, we call it cringy. Um, but sometimes cringy content's great content as well. And in this case, I don't think it's really cringy what what KFC did. They were capitalizing on a situation, and now they're the talk of the day. Uh, and they which, did it last year too when they came out with the um, KFC um, um, dating simulator. Oh yes, yes, which, I would want to way, date the Colonel. By the way, oh, I, I so was good. actually on a date. We stayed home, played KFC dating simulator, and ordered <laughs> KFC to eat while playing Perfect. the KFC dating. It was so <laughs> it was so funny, but it, you know, it just it just one of the things. It, it might be cringy, but other people see it as, oh my gosh, this is hilarious. This is great content. We saw people cosplay Colonel Sanders to play the game. Oh my goodness. Yes. Oh my goodness. I still remember Marcus DJ Wheat, who's a predominant figure in the Twitch community. He actually did it for Halloween. He dressed up as as the colonel and it was it was perfect. It was he makes perfect. a really good colonel. Like it actually bothered me so much. Yes. I, I've known his family for way too long and that is all that I can say on this podcast. So 
Uh, <laughs> let's 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 flip it over though, because we're talking about the charities. It's very important, and ultimately, it's just immediate access to information. That is the number one thing, and then the number two thing that you can also do is provide yourself as a resource and just to show that you are a human being. Yes, you are this organization or a representative of this organization, but you're also Ted or Bill or uh, Janine or Karen. Bobby. Or yes, exactly. Like you are you are a human being and you still have these interests and you have these things that you can relate people to. Now that might get into some trouble with red tape and things like that. But ultimately, when you're representing your brand and your organization, as long as you're doing it professionally, I think that is going to be okay. But some of these older charities, these older organizations might struggle with that. So let's talk about that a little bit, because I feel like there's some charities that are hesitant in that space. And Draskia, let's go to you first on this one. Because you had to represent something like Microsoft, and now you're representing Tiltify, it can be difficult to kind of be yourself, but also be the brand at the same time. What were some of the pitfalls that you kind of ran to, in particular with social, in terms of trying to avoid that line, but also trying to push the boundaries of that line for whichever brand you're representing? So for Microsoft, it was hard. I got called, I got told I was too cute um, or I was too nice in my, in my replies and in my stuff, which I can understand. So I had to get a little sassier. I had to force myself to be a little, a little snarky sometimes, which was fine for, for Tiltify. It's been so much fun because I feel like I can be that cute self person with the voice of Tiltify. Casper, you set it up perfectly for me to be able to use anime tweets and to be able to be super nice and, and everything like that. But it's always been really hard to kind of break out of that shell for myself and to find the boundary to push really. Cause I'm, I'm, I don't know, I'm as threatening as a kitten when it comes to that kind of stuff. I can be pretty sassy, but it's hard keeping the corporate voice and still being sassy, like not really being cringy, but kind of not really being, mm, I don't know. I, I, that's really it. It's, it's really hard, but eventually you do it. Eventually you find a sweet spot in there that everyone's okay with and that everyone kind of can listen to and it goes over well. Yeah. And I think it's partly a proof of concept thing for a lot of these organizations when they're trying to step foot into this 21st century of fundraisers and going digital and seeing these content creators become fundraisers. I remember examples from my past where when I was influencing a lot more and I would be approached by a charity and they would say, hey, can you make sure that you follow these guidelines? And I looked at the guidelines and they were just outlandish in a sense where it was like, oh, I can't play any of these types of games and I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't do that. And in the back of my head, I get it. I understand. But you're kind of restricting me from being me and being an influencer. So what exactly are you trying to accomplish at that point? And the, the point that I'm trying to make is that for charities that are trying to get more into the space you're going to have to try and push that boundary a little bit more. You're going to have to try and find that proof of concept and say, look, this space, this online content creator space is super important because this is where the next generation is. This is where the future of fundraising is, number one. And number two, the past generations are also getting involved with this. So this is just where all of the fundraising is slowly moving towards, something interactive, something engaging. But if we stay in our old ways, we're not going to find success and that success is slowly going to go downhill. So... There's many organizations that I can think of that were brand new to the space in 2019, 2018, 
that now we look at them in 2020. And in some cases, it was simply because they were one of the first organizations in this space that handled mental health in that way or handled animal shelters in that way. And we can look at those orgs and now say, well, yes, it's partly because you were such a unique message that you found success in the charity fundraising space, but it's also how you adapted to it. We see organizations that are now even implementing TikTok and they're creating their own TikToks. They're working with their influencers or even celebrities to create messages on TikTok in order to find success. So let's talk about TikTok then, because for both content creators and charities, it has become this platform that has essentially exploded. I think of one example in particular, there's an influencer named Tiny, and she has such a niche content, which is she makes keycaps. She makes- Tiny makes things. Yeah, Tiny makes things. She makes keycaps for computer keyboards, where you can replace your A key with something cute <laughs> and something adorable. And when you hear that, that sounds so niche. But then you look at her content. She's been doing this for years, mind you. And when TikTok came out and when she decided to move her content over to TikTok and do a lot more TikTok videos of the creation of these keycaps, she made her first TikTok, I believe, on Halloween last year. So that's eight months from this recording, eight months ago. She has now had almost 60 million views on her TikToks. She has 2.3 million followers on TikTok as well. Let's throw it back to Ash really quick about TikTok. What is the importance of TikTok as a platform? Because we heard Drasky's opinions last week, but what are your thoughts on TikTok as a platform? How can charities adapt to it? How can content creators adapt to it? Yeah, so first and foremost, TikTok has actually one of the best discoverability algorithms I've ever seen on any platform. I've always had a few friends say, oh yeah, I downloaded TikTok, but you know, like the For You page is so random, I can't, can't get used to it, I tell them interact with content, start liking TikToks because it slowly starts to learn the kind of TikToks that you like and it starts to produce to you the kind of content that you like to digest. So that is huge when it comes to discoverability. That's kind of like my takeaway. Just as a person, I think TikTok has one of the best discoverability algorithms out there. For creators, it's one of the best ways to go in and meet other creators as well because it has options like the duet functions. Um, but it allows you to go in and create things. So yes, Tiny has like a very specific niche, but it also put her niche at the forefront of things that people are looking at. For charities, this is a really great space for you to kind of keep that post-it note pitch in mind is how can you tell somebody in 30 seconds or less your, why your organization is important. And you know, you can scroll through TikTok all day. It's a puppy, you're, they're gonna stop on it. And suddenly, oh, it's you know this organization that helps animals out. They're going to look into it and be like, oh, this is interesting. And you know, when now we have our direct partnership with TikTok um, and Tiltify, there's a donation sticker. Now I can donate. But you know what? Maybe me as a creator, I want to fundraise for, for you know, this animal charity because this TikTok was so freaking cute. I'm going to now do my duo to it and put my own donation sticker on top of it. So for charities, this is a really great space for people to instantly see your content duet your, um, do a duo to your content and immediately start a fundraiser off of that without ever having to leave the, the application. And that's huge. Yeah. And the, the idea of duos and just making content based off of other people's content, there's something that's existed in live streaming in particular for a very, 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 very long time. And that is multi-streaming. That is uh, streaming with another individual and playing games together or watching conferences and co-streaming as well. That is something that's super popular, but for many years, it was not explored. It was just too difficult to do. 
And then TikTok kind of comes in and it's like, oh yeah, you like that video? Do you want to interact with it? Go for it. Go make content with this other person. And, you know, it, it could be restrictive. It could be completely open and completely free where you can make a TikTok with Terry Crews or someone like big and important. And that's just something that's cute and fun. But let's go back to then the discoverability and the algorithms because, Draski, a big part of your job is actually understanding these algorithms. How good is that algorithm on TikTok? And, and how has someone like a tiny or any other influencer that you can think of been able to amass such a huge following in such a short amount of time? The algorithm is amazing. There's so much that it learns and it adapts. You can do voiceovers one week and get complete like lip syncs and stuff like that and be dropped into a subcategory and fly to the top of the for you page and get discovered doing that. You can only do clips from your Twitch stream. You can do what Tiny does, which is like just making things, just creating things. TikTok has such a way of grabbing what you like and making it so specific for you that if a content creator or a charity stays focused on what they're creating, like cat videos, like Twitch clips, like lip syncs, like cosplays, they will, the algorithm will do all the work for you. It's amazing. It's kind of like going off what Maggie said. It's amazing because you have like these little niches, but putting in different kinds of content onto TikTok is what's going to be like ultimately the best because it'll recognize it is a, a lip sync one. So it'll definitely throw that video into the For You page of people who enjoy and who interact with lip sync content. If there's ones where it's dubbing or duets, it's going to be thrown into that category, creating category, gaming category. So the more you have, so yes, your entire, as a charity, your entire feed can be like puppies and dogs and kittens playing all day. But now let's say you do one where it's a dog wearing a headset and they're playing a video game um, where you have, it's a, an adoption remake of Cheaper by the Dozen. <laughs> Funny things like that is what pushes, you know, things up onto TikTok. And we actually saw the entire cast of Cheaper by the Dozen do a TikTok. That was amazing. Mm -hmm. And oh, I loved it. Oh, and yeah. it was actually as a fundraiser too. And I, I don't yes. know how much it ended up raising, but it, it, that TikTok did so well on TikTok it made its way over to Twitter and then it blew up on Twitter. It became a Twitter moment. And the next thing you know, news outlets, presses were picking it up and also sharing it. So ultimately, when they find that back onto TikTok and it continually funds back, funnels back to TikTok, it's a fundraiser. Yeah, the it's something really important that you mentioned there as well is the idea or concept of putting this content on multiple platforms because as content creators... We are told to do that all the time where you can build a following, of course, on Twitch and live streaming there. But maybe you also make content on YouTube or maybe you just use it for a a dump for all of your vaunted content and make video on demand. Or maybe you make specific content on Twitch for YouTube, right? But you can do the same thing with social as well. We see amazing clips like 60 second clips of something that happened in your live stream on Twitter. You can also put that on Instagram. You can also put that on Facebook. You can definitely put that on TikTok. And just being able to expose yourself to all these different platforms is such a great way to spread your message because someone that's following you on TikTok might not follow you on Twitch, might not follow you on Twitter. And now they might have a reason to because you make exclusive content, not necessarily exclusive content, but content that's more fitting to that platform. So for example, on TikTok, that's short form video. So you can make these cool, cute, adorable videos that you can do. You can have clips, you can have video clips and whatnot. But then they want to follow you on Twitter because you also tweet really funny things or you like 
talking about things that are important to you and maybe that's also important to your community. So now they want to see you on there. So the point being is that getting your content out there and diversifying your content on all these platforms as much as you can, definitely an advantage, uh, I would say for sure. And it, yeah, also one thing to kind of touch up on there too is you are also ticking off multiple different boxes on different algorithms. So TikTok has one algorithm, Twitter has a completely different algorithm, Instagram has a completely different algorithm. So when you post on Twitter, some people might not see it, but if they follow up with you on Instagram, they'll see it on Instagram because that algorithm is mm-hmm. now benefiting them. So that's where like posting on multiple platforms, that same content can be very beneficial because you're hitting multiple algorithms and you're more likely to hit your entire audience and your very special, like 5% of that niche audience that will actually end up seeing it. For sure. And I think the last point that I kind of want to make before we get into questions here is for charities in particular, because for them, they might be sitting there saying, okay, we might be able to get the go ahead to go on TikTok. Now what? Well, Again, it's that diversification of that messaging or the information that you want to share because you can have something informational, but there's something that a lot of charities have connections to, but they never know how to kind of implement them. And that's what celebrities. Celebrities are so much more willing to make a 60 second or even a 30 second video for your cause than it is for them to make a one hour appearance at this event. And especially with the state of the world right now, showing up physically to events is literally impossible. So what can you ask of these celebrities or these high profile influencers to do for you? Well, making a video is much, much easier for them. And I actually want to throw that back to Drasky as well. Like, do you agree with that? Do you feel like that is a much easier ask for for folks to get involved in order to help represent a brand? A hundred percent. It's easy for, like you said, it's easy for somebody to commit five minutes of their time versus an hour. Also, the attention span of anyone is between four to 11 seconds. So if you can capture them within that time frame, and it's a Jason Derulo or a Lizzo or The Rock, then you have a higher chance of having them inter- inter- interact. I almost said engage and interact together. So it was intergage. <laughs> intergage. <laughs> Yeah, intergaged. We're going to coin it. It's intergaged. Um, Trademark coming soon. There you go. Yes. Just stuff that people can interact with and and be a part of and feel like they're a part of something versus having to commit an hour's worth of like, oh, I have to watch this person and they're only going to be there for like 20 minutes and they're going to leave. But they're flipping through their TikTok. They're flipping through their Instagram, through their Twitter. They're going to share that. They're going to, you know, they're going to talk about it. Like, look what The Rock did. Look what, you know, this person did. Look what this person, that person did. And they're going to duet it. They're going to share it. They're going to retweet it. And then there you go. You have the next viral fundraiser comment. Yeah. And and one thing to kind of go off that too is know your celebrity's potential. Sometimes the biggest celebrity you can get might not do well in the space. So like when, um, as soon as Maggie said, you know, like she mentioned the rock and then like 20, 20 seconds later, she mentioned like, see what you can cook up. Like, could you imagine the rock doing a TikTok for an organization that helps feed children or helps feed, feed the homeless about, can you smell what the rock is cooking? <laughs> and then encourages people to duet with what they're cooking. Something like that is so simple that can be done in 30 seconds using, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. you know, um, Dwayne's time, but is so beneficial and it maximizes the potential and it's maximizing your opportunities with, with, with the celebrity. Gordon Ramsay, getting Gordon Ramsay the ability to do a TikTok where people, where he can literally like look, looks like he's putting people's faces in an idiot sandwich. So many people would do interactions to that. Oh and, yeah, and, for sure. And it's knowing 
one, who the celebrity is, two, what their worth is in the space and in this generation, and how can it be capitalized on? So there are so many times I'll have charities come to me and say, hey, we have this celebrity. Do you think they'll do good? And I'm like, no. They're like, really? It's, it's so-and-so from this band. I'm like, yeah, but that's not, you know, like cool, but you know, do you have Nicolas Cage? So things like that is it's understanding the market. And that's kind of where like knowing the memes, knowing like the cringiness, where they come from, understanding that is, can be really beneficial. Oh yeah. Uh, I definitely agree with that because it, it actually gives me a throwback to something that's like half related, maybe like 70% related to this, where I remember Steve Aoki, he <clears throat> was performing at TwitchCon three years ago or four years ago now. Right. And I'm going to be honest. I didn't really know Steve Aoki, except it was a name, right? It was a name of some guy that does music. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. right? And that's the thing. It, word started to spread where that announcement was made on social. And then suddenly people were like, I want Steve Aoki to cake me. And I was like, what? I remember you, that. <laughs> what do you mean? So then we started searching it up. And yeah, apparently it's really popular for him to just have cake and he just throws it at people. Um, they have huge sheets of cake backstage that at their concerts, they take them, they throw them into the crowd. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's called being caked by Steve Aoki. Yeah. And that was a thing because at TwitchCon, so many people and so many influencers, especially, <laughs> were were trying to be near the front so that Steve Aoki would literally take cake and throw it at them. And it's just understanding what you have in front of you, because I would say that Steve Aoki is actually a relatively large sized individual. In, in the space of influencing and influencer relations, sure. But if that was someone that was smaller, that still had some relevance to the space, or even if it's a super popular meme or, you know, the, the Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, like, again, he's much older now, but at the same time, people still remember him from the 90s as a wrestler and the 2000s as a wrestler. They still remember if you can smell what The Rock is cooking, of course. But then you've also got this newer generation that he hits with Moana, uh, and all the action films, but primarily Moana, let's be honest. Moana, Jumanji. Yeah, and it's so just, so just understanding that the celebrity can be gigantic, but if you cannot adapt that to this kind of environment, it's not going to matter as much. And it's not enough for them to just be there to show up and that's it, to get involved with your brand. So with the idea of duos on TikTok, if The Rock did something involving cooking and if he could say that line... And if it was for an organization that dealt with cooking or food of some type, I think that would be huge. And if any charities are listening that deal with food, you're welcome. You can just, what can I say except you're welcome? But let's... <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> and if you need any assistance with that, you can contact me at Ashley at Tiltify.com. Of course. And can with that... except you're welcome. <laughs> with that, we're going to quickly throw it to a couple questions that we had for <laughs> Ashley for this episode. We had one from one of my community members, Alex. He actually asked, so you've been at Tilt 5 for just over a year. What is your favorite memory or experience working at the company? Oh, that's that's a tough one. You know, we we've been very, you know, fortunate enough to work with many celebrities. The first activation that I got to do, like literally on day one, when I sat down with our CEO at his house in West Hollywood, he's like, hey, we're working with Red Nose Day. We're on a call with them right now. By the way, Jack Black's going to be there. I'm just like, wait, wait, what? Like, it was one of those like surreal moments. I think I would say that would probably be my favorite moment because like I got to like push past like all of Jack's managers and go up to him because he specifically wanted to get coffee. So I had to ask Jack Black for his Starbucks order, which, by the way, is a cold brew. 
Very nice. So, yeah. so I think that's probably one of my favorite moments. Um, meeting Amelia Clark was also really awesome. A lot of celebrity activations are probably some of my favorite moments for, for working with Totify. But I think uh, it's still celebrity activation, but talking with Mike Shinoda from Lincoln oh, Park. Of course. Of course. I, I knew that I was it. I flipped out. I flipped out. I got some, yeah. A lot of the celebrity activations and like seeing like Brendan Urie, who is like a high school hero of mine, like growing up listening to their music, giving us shout outs and just being like, you know, it, it's very like, it's, hey, look, Ma, I made it basically, you know? <laughs> For sure. Uh, Maggie, what about you? So I would say that my, I want to do two. My second one was um, very similar to Ashley's where I was thrown into doing a whole bunch of stuff. I, it was my very, very first time. It was the Amelia Clark event and I got to do all of the social for it. It was amazing. I was so confident and it felt, it felt perfect. It felt great. That was my t-shirt too. Yeah. 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 And I designed the t-shirt. I designed the poster. I designed Jack's pin. It was completely surreal. It was amazing. That would be almost in tie with, it was a few weeks ago, we were all talking in discord about how much we love working with Tiltify. And it kind of clicked for me how every single person in this company, honest to goodness, loves and cares about every single thing that we do, every single charity, every single activation. I see how hard Ashley and Brian work, and I see how hard Daniel works, and I see how hard Michael works, and I see how hard the dev team works, and I'm just blown away every single day. Like I get to work with the most amazing team that does the most amazing stuff, and then on top of that, we get to work with celebrities and charities and influencers, and it just... I'm, I'm very thankful for every day that I get to work here. I, I'm with you there. You know, like, uh, unfortunately, I, I have family members that say, okay, you've been there for a year. What's your next step? And I'm like, what do you mean? What's my next step? Exactly. Like, no, this is the dream. This yeah. is the perfect job. It's, it's amazing. Like, it's like this, is, this, this is an end all type type mm-hmm. career for me mm-hmm. is I can see myself being a total five for the, for the foreseeable future. Same. And, uh, you know, to be, to be 27 and say that, that's very rare. Yeah. Extremely rare. Uh, I know that when... I was going through school and I was becoming a teacher and I saw that as as my be all end all as well at the time. And then I got involved with the gaming community. I got involved with charity very early on and I was building up my resume to the point where I, I was hired on to Tiltify in 2016 and I was their first community hire. I was the first person that wasn't named Michael, named Joseph or our dev team. <laughs> and uh, it was myself and Josh Belkin that were hired pretty much at the same time. And it was nice to be hired at the same time with someone else from the community because then it wasn't as intimidating. But at the same time, Josh and I, and I'd love to have Josh as, as, as a guest one day, but just over the last four years, four and a half years now, we've been able to see every single person that this company has hired. And we've been able to, you know, give our thoughts, give our opinions, especially on anyone from community side, which is both of these lovely folks as well. And just, we get to help shape the company because at the same time, Tiltify is really small. Like so many people out there feel like, oh, you guys have a hundred employees. I'm like, there was a time where I could count the number of employees on one hand. Like it's, the work of a hundred employees. Yeah, the work of a hundred employees. As maybe. of January, there was only like 15 or 17 that were at the work retreat. Yeah, we, we had, uh, yeah, it was right around that number where, yeah, if I had a third hand, you could count it on three hands. But um, our, our organization is still very small. We still do... We move mountains for these these charities because, like Maggie and like Ash said, like we just care so much about what we're doing, and we know that what we're doing is a positive thing. And 
We just want to enable charities to succeed. That is ultimately what I tell any charity that I ever talk to, that I ever have the pleasure of talking to, is that we just want to help you succeed. Yes, we have XYZ models in place so that, you know, we can pay our bills too. But ultimately, if you raise a billion dollars, we're proud of you and we're happy for you because we were able to assist with that in any which way that we could. And if that's, you know, also as a side effect, we get to work with celebrities. Cool. <laughs> because yeah. meeting, meeting your childhood heroes is always a great thing. Um, I mean, like, let me see what my, uh, my title is down here. Charity success manager. <laughs> I think I read that backwards, but yes, <laughs> I, I love helping organizations be successful. I think one of my favorite like activations that I got to kind of like assist with was the HSUS rock the house event. Yeah. Um, where they came to us and like, hey, we're going to be working with Rob Thomas, Chris Daughtry, and Jason Mraz. And I was like, okay, these are great names. I personally didn't have anything to do with the celebrities, but I got to assist and talk to the organization and then the production team and tell them, this is how you want to do a live stream, especially with COVID that was all going on saying you want to have this, the chat bot, get moderators. And like, I think I might've sat in on 16 hours of meetings over like three weeks with the team telling them, do this, do this. This is how you want to be, how you want it to be successful. Cause when they originally were approaching it, it was, this is more of like a cool. We're having a concert for raises money. Great. If it doesn't, that's not the major purpose. And they raised almost $200,000. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's amazing. It's such so, a good feeling. Oh, it, it was absolute. such a great feeling to, to feel like I, I, I personally was able to help an organization take something that was meant to be as like an advocacy event and take into an actual fundraising with advocacy on top of it. Like it, it was such a great feeling knowing that I was able to help an organization and I'm always here to answer any questions orgs might have about live streaming, being in the space. Heck I have charities reach out to me and say, Hey, we want to tweet this. Does this sound like a good tweet? I kid you not. They'll send me those. So <laughs> no, that's wonderful. Um, going back to the question, just as a finalization thought for myself, uh, my favorite memory is in that vein where we get to interact with celebrities, yes, but so do creators, and we can actually enable that. And one of my favorite memories actually goes back to Red Nose Day 2019. It was uh, Mike, Mike the, Bard. the Bard. Yes, Mike the Bard. He, so we had a competition, well, competition, uh, where people could play Twitch Sings, and they could play specific songs, and there might be a chance that this person would sing with you. And one of our celebrities, of course, was Jack Black, and he was singing Tenacious D's tribute. And Mike the Bard decided to sing that song as well as his submission. And I remember seeing the clip. He was live when this was happening, and people were letting him know, going into his chat, being like, oh my god. Mike, Spamming it. You, you have to go look at this. And he, like, mouth open. He's in shock. He's closing out of GTA 5 because he needs to go watch the live stream of Jack Black singing with him. And it's just, you know, he was so thankful for that moment. And I think there's there's so many times where we get to do that and get to help content creators kind of like have these dream moments. Like even even top influencers that we work with, with like Red Nose Day for that event in particular, sure. But other ones as well. Jack Septiguy, yes, he's a gigantic influencer. He got to sit right next to Amelia Clark and work with her directly for numerous hours. Like he'll probably never say it but he'll probably be like oh yeah no low-key that was a great moment in his life so i honestly i want to ask one more question yeah mm -hmm. let's let's still ask it let's still ask it this comes from matt and it's it's something that i feel like we all hear a lot and we all even thought about ourselves but as someone who doesn't have that big of a community but wants to work with charities what advice would you give and maggie let's go to you first on that one shoot your shot all the time 
never don't never don't shoot your shot no that's a double that's just made that just made casper cringe <laughs> a little bit a little bit uh but it's true it is true uh, never yes. not shoot your yeah okay uh yes always <laughs> always go for it if you care about something get involved with it no i agree with no matter that. no matter how much you do you're still doing something and that's what's important for sure ash how about you oh that's a tough one i you know i hear all the time is um First and foremost, don't don't sell yourself short is the biggest advice I can give. You know, a lot of times I hear somebody say, I have a small community and we only raise like 500. And I'm like, 500? You know how much 500 actually is to some of these organizations? It's huge. And and that's where I say, like, don't sell yourself short. Is don't be like, hey, I'm just a small streamer. You know, can I get some like assets to be like, hey, listen here. My name's XYZ. I stream on Twitch and I want to do some good for you. Can I can we work together? When working at working with the charity, reaching out to a charity, especially a charity that's like not already on Tiltify, make it as a as a partnership proposal. Hey, I really want to you know fundraise for your organization. Can you please you know jump on Tiltify and let them know? I have like five or six friends that also want to do a fundraiser. I'll get them on board as well. Right there, you're already proposing seven fundraisers. That's kind of what I would say is make it as almost a business opportunity for both of you. Where hey, I want it, I want you guys to get onto Tiltify. I'm going to bring more people on over. How can we work together? And I think that's a really great, strong way to talk about you being a small influencer is you might be only a small influencer, but you can influence two or three people. Those two or three people go on to influence four or five. Those five go on to influence 10 or 12. You never know how it can start, you know, so don't say, don't say yourself short. I definitely agree with that. And to loop it back to this whole discussion about modernizing your social approach, Discord's a great example of that. We have people now that are looking for charities to fundraise for on Tiltify and on your charity page, you can link out to your Discord server and they could join it and they could get these assets to level up their fundraising experience. Because if I can sit there and dish out facts, impact points about your org and to spread the message properly, that's going to make a huge difference in terms of what I can actually fundraise. So being available Offering those resources from a charity side, million percent important. And for smaller influencers, like you're still an influencer, you're still a creator, uh, you're still micro, mano, nano, macro, whatever the case may be. You have a voice, you have a community, and whatever you raise, even if it's $5, is $5 more, and that's going to make a huge difference to the org. Huge difference. But with that being said, that is it for episode number nine of The Joy of Fundraising. I want to thank our special guest, Ashley, for joining us. Do you have any shout outs that you want to give out? Not specifically, but you guys can follow me on uh, Twitch and Twitter and all social handles. It's just Ashleen. So that's kind of the nice thing is that nobody else has five E's in their name, but me. So yeah, that's five E's. But yeah, go ahead and feel free to follow me. I play lots of games and content. I do my fundraising. And if you ever want to just come in and ask a question about fundraising or how like your charity can get started on Tiltify, feel free to reach out to me. You can also reach out via email ashley at tiltify.com. Awesome. Maggie, what about you? Any shout outs you got? As always, hit up our social. We are Tiltify on Twitter and Tiltify on Instagram and Tiltify on Facebook. Awesome. And then for me, any of our shout outs is going to be, as always, thank you so very much for tuning in to The Joy of Fundraising. Future episodes, we do have some special guests lined up for the next couple episodes. But if you have an influencer that you want us to talk to, because we're starting to get towards the summer months, the summer episodes, so to speak. And we've been talking about a lot of charity related topics, and we've been focusing on a bunch of different things that the charities can do. But for influencers, like the question that we got today about how can we get involved with charities, if you have an influencer in mind that you'd love to hear us talk to, get their notes, get their 
insights on how to charity fundraise, feel free to suggest them down below if you're on our YouTube video feed. And for any of the Audible feeds that are out there, feel free to shoot us an email as well. Our emails are listed on all of the platforms as well. So with that being said, thank you so very much for tuning in to the Joy of Fundraising, a Tiltify podcast, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye.